At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Thank you. Yes, yes, I, I get it. Spring break, right? Yeah, you guys are not wanting to be here. Um, and uh, let me add some insult to injury. Today uh, is going to feel more like a lecture. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I don't know how I ended up like this, but it is. It is what it is. So if you fall asleep, yo, that's fine. I won't call you out. Maybe I will. No, just, I, I totally won't. This is not that type of environment. Anyways, uh, glad that you guys are here. If it's your first time here at the MSU venue, um, glad you're here with us. Um, we're obviously a church that meets uh, on campus. Uh, we are one of the four locations of Riverview Church. Um, and we're in a new series. Um, and uh, we started this actually the week before spring break. Uh, we're in, I believe, week three then um, of our series called Let's Be That. Uh, essentially what we did, we... Uh, took a, a, a brand new look at just our church and recasted vision and our priorities. Where do we want to end up at over the next however many years? Uh, and we defined uh, a bunch of core values. So what you just heard in that uh, video were our core values. What you see on your card, that, you know, the little card there that you have, uh, that is our, our new mission statement. Um, and that's kind of what we're headed towards as a church. And today... Um, we are looking at what it means to be biblically holistic and humble. To be biblically holistic and humble. And this is kind of uh, the idea underneath that. Uh, the Bible, uh, we believe as a church that the Bible is inspired by God and is the highest authority over all other forms of revelation. We approach it with humility toward God, the human authors, and other Christians with whom we may disagree. Uh, some people like KJV, some people like NIV. Yeah, you know, to each their own, right? We patiently, gently, and humbly present the message of the Bible to a culture that may find its message irrelevant or offensive. As a living and breathing word of God, we apply the whole Bible to our whole selves and seek to live biblically faithful lives. That is what we believe in. That is uh, what we stand for as a church when we say that we are biblically holistic and humble. At least that's what we want to pursue when we are saying that we want to be biblically holistic and humble. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll get into this a little bit, um, but I want to read for us John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, we're going to spend uh, uh, some of our time uh, in the book of John, the first chapter there. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to flip to John 1, or if you have your phones, you got your Bible app, feel free to pull that, pull that up, or you can watch on the screen, whatever floats your boat. All right, John 1.1, 1, 1. here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Let me uh, pray for our time today, uh, this morning, um, and we'll jump into uh, a little bit of what it means to be biblically holistic and humble for our church family as we cast this vision together. So would you pray with me, um, and we'll get after it. Father, we're just uh, grateful to gather um, here on this Sunday morning. Uh, it's cold, it's snowy. Some of us came back from a really warm place and didn't bring any warmth with us, but it's okay. We're here, Lord, and we just pray, Father, that as we dive into your word, um, as we talk about uh, just even uh, the things outside of your word, how that points to the authenticity of your word, uh, we pray that you would challenge our hearts, challenge our, com our convictions uh, that we may have. I pray that you would equip us, uh, not just with knowledge, but, Lord, that it would be just led and supported by the Spirit. Um, that as we, again, just get equipped, that we would be, leave this place, Lord, with just even one little nugget of information that could help us uh, point people to Jesus, that can help us defend our faith uh, in an ever-growing uh, secular world. Um, and, and we just pray, Father, for, for that. And we pray for our hearts, that we would be humble in our approach to the word, in our defense of the word, and in our uh, pursuit of the word. Um, and we just pray, Father, that, yeah, that would, we would be those kind of people, Lord, uh, not the Bible-thumping types of people, but, Lord, those who are gentle, uh, those who understand and experience the, the life-giving power of your word. Uh, so be with us in this way, Father, and we pray all this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. So, <clears throat> uh, believe it or not, I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on TikTok. Or not, I'm not on TikTok. I have, a, I have TikTok. I just, you know, watch videos. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I were just, like, scrolling on our phones for, like, I think, what, like, two hours? <laughs> one hour. Okay, she said one hour. It was actually two hours. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we are just scrolling. But I remember uh, I was on TikTok, like, a few months ago. And uh, I saw a video, um, and it was like uh, this, it started off, it, so in TikTok, if you're not familiar with TikTok, which uh, I'm talking to like people like Dan, <laughs> Atchison, <laughs> the older people in the room, I'm just joking, he's not here anymore, he, he kind of, he had to go somewhere, so I can poke fun at him, but um, <laughs> um, on TikTok, I, there's a thing that you can do with your videos, like you could stitch them, right? together or whatever and you can kind of like do like you know here's a video and then you can like give a response through your own video or whatever right and so I saw this one video of this like guy who was saying like something about like you know oh you know how can you prove that God is real how can you prove you know that you know the Bible is legitimate uh, and this girl on and this is like Christian TikTok which is like super cringy right so <laughs> let's just let's just let me just put that out there right? Christian TikTok mad cringy and so she stitches a video in response, and she just starts quoting verses after verses to, like, prove that God is real, right? And then I was like, you know, on Christian TikTok, it's like people are, like, commenting, like, yeah, like, that's, that's how you prove that God's real. And then there's another video that got stitched onto that one, and it was this guy, and you know what, maybe you guys have seen this. You know what he does? Anyone? Any guesses? Somebody said something. No, not, not, he, he pretty much says, I don't believe in the Bible, but through an illustration. He doesn't say anything. He gets an extension cable, like a power cable, and then he plugs it into itself. <laughs> right? Do, do, you get, do you get the logic there, right? He, he plugs it into his, and then the video ends. And that video had, like, I think, like, I don't know how many millions of views. And it got, like, a, you know, several hundred thousand likes, right? And, like, a bunch of comments. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's, that's where we are. That's where society's at. 
when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the secular world or just the non-religious world viewing Christianity. And if you don't understand kind of what that extension power cable, I, I wish I had one with me. I know we have a bunch here. But plug. if you don't understand what that means, it means two different things, right? And this is what I mean by, I would say probably about like 85% of today is going to feel a little bit like a lecture, meaning like a lot like a lecture. And then the last 15%, we're going to try to land the plane with some more posture and heart stuff, right? So if you don't understand what that extension cable response is, uh, what he's trying to say are two things. One could be that uh, what that girl was doing by using the Bible to prove that God existed was something called circular reasoning. So circular reasoning is, in short, a logical fallacy in which the reasoner begins with what they are trying to end with. Okay? They're, 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 they're beginning with what they are trying to end with. If A equals B, then B equals A. For example, truth is the word of God. Therefore, the word of God is truth. That's circular reasoning. Right? Or... What we could also be uh, assume that he's trying to say in that video where he gets the extension cable and plugs it into itself is something called self-authentication. Self-authentication, right? It's the act of proving that something, usually a document, or in this case a religious text, is genuine or true without the use, without the use of extrinsic evidence. Good, that definition's up there. For example, this statement. Well, the Bible is true... Because the Bible says so. Self-authentication. Right? That's what that guy was claiming that that girl was doing. Well, the Bible is true because the Bible says so. This is the world that we've actually always lived in. It's just magnified now because of TikTok. Ah, oh, thank you, TikTok, but not really. Right? We've always lived in this world. But now it's just magnified because of social media. There is a stark decline of Christianity in the West, okay? That's the reality. Thankfully, in other countries, um, you know, we, we see uh, a rise in Christianity, actually. But here, at least in America, we see that it's in uh, decline. Um, it is content like this that proves to me uh, that Christ followers, we should be at the ready more than ever, uh, not just with biblical knowledge, but with practices and, uh, of, uh, you know, the disciplines of Christian Christianity known as like apologetics, like defending your faith through logic and reasoning, but to also lovingly show people the truth of God's word um, and the things that we believe in. So what is a Christ follower to do? This is the water that we're swimming in. Whether you like it or not, that's the water that we're swimming Especially in a university setting like MSU, that is what we're sw swimming in, right? How do we prepare ourselves to protect the doctrines that the church has believed in for centuries, such as sola scriptura? There are five solas. One of them is sola scriptura. That means, that is, in definition, the belief that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. The disclaimer, though, is like not everything is found in Scripture. Like God's not going to teach you how to do an oil change through his word. Like that's not what Sola Scriptura is, right? But Sola Scriptura does mean everything that pertains to your spiritual life and salvation is explicitly or implicitly written in the Bible. How do we defend doctrines like that in this world that is pushing very strongly with skepticism, cynicism, 
and even at times antagonism by leading atheistic thinkers. Or more pertinent for our lifetime, how do we defend the belief that all scripture is breathed out by God without falling prey to self-authentication or circular reasoning fallacy? How do we do that? Thankfully, we can. My hope for today is to share with uh, you guys uh, not just what we believe in as a church, which is to be biblically holistic and humble. Like that is, those are heart posture things, right? To be biblically holistic and humble. We understand how the Bible actually affects the whole of our lives, emotional, uh, physical, mental, uh, spiritual, relational, right? We believe the Bible can affect us in these different ways. But then also, how and why should we be humble? I want to get to the why before we get to the what and the how. Because in our day and age, in your generation, in our generation, right, we all kind of share in the same, you know, I'm a millennial. Some of you guys are millennials. Some of you guys are Gen Z. We don't need more of the what. We need the why (laughs) to stand our ground, right? Why do we believe in the Bible? And my time hopefully today with you guys, with our church family is to share why we believe the Bible is real. Is the Bible valid and accurate? Is it? If someone were to ask you that question and, and ask you, why, is the Bible valid and accurate, how would you respond? And then if they followed up with the question, well, why is it that way? Or how is it valid and accurate? How would you respond? I wanted to start a time off with reading John 1.1 because I think it showcases a kind of a crazy scenario, right? Let me read John 1.1 for us one more time. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I wanted to start a time off with that because think about it. You have potentially in, your, in the palm of your hands, for some of you guys this might sound hyperbolic, but it's not, <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, What you have in your hand is literally a testament to the beginning of time, life, origin. In the beginning, before anything existed in the world, in the beginning was what? The Word. You have that knowledge in the grasp of your hand. But how do you prove that that's legitimate? My, uh, <laughs> my wife and I, we were getting coffee uh, earlier this week with a friend, and we were just talking about, like, a Bible and, like, how, like, oh, you know, do we know Bible verses? And I was telling my wife, what's Genesis 1-1? And then, <laughs> you know what she says? She says, in the beginning was the Word. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. In the beginning was the Word? And obviously that's, that's John 1-1. Genesis 1-1 is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And so she got it kind of right. Because actually scholars would put Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1 together. They would see the parallel between the two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was God. Or, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. There's stark parallels between the two. Many scholars have taken the time to put these two passages together. And I bring this up because if the Bible is true, if the Bible is accurate, if it is truly infallible and inerrant, meaning without error, right? Then again, what we have in the palm of our hands is knowledge of how everything in this world was created. 
We have knowledge of why we were made in the first place. We have knowledge of what our purpose on this world is. And we have this knowledge in the midst of a society and world that says all that stuff is phony because you can't prove that it's true. So before we get to the biblically holistic and humble, we need to get to how do we even defend the thing that makes us holistic and humble. You know, I don't, I'm not saying that you have to take a seminary course to prove any of this. <clears throat> there are plenty of resources out there to, to get some of these skills and knowledge. You know, there's plenty of websites out there. You know, Got Questions is a really good place to start. Um, there's, there's that. Uh, you don't have to take a seminary course and uh, that teaches you something like textual criticism. So I'm going to show you part of my assignment here um, that I had to do for So that's, that's part of my assignment. I don't know if you can see that. that that's what uh, in my Hebrew class, we had to do something called textual criticism. Um, and uh, essentially what, what you have to do is you read the, the Hebrew, right? And then you have to figure out like all these different things. Like what, what is the actual meaning of the words that are highlighted there? And you have to look through all of these different documents and all of these different sources, all of these like different ancient manuscripts that they found. You, I'm not saying you have to do any of that stuff, right? To understand how to defend it and, and put all these things together. But there are plenty of resources out there for us to learn to defend the validity of the scriptures. I'm going to go over three different things for us. And then we're going to land the plane with some of the scriptures itself. There is a lot of extrinsic support for the Bible. The first one is that the Bible is a book filled with real historical events, people, and stories. That, I don't know if you've ever thought of the Bible in that way, but it is full of real people, real historical events, real stories. For example, King David. Did you know? You guys know King David? Yes? King David? You guys heard of him? Kind of, kind of a weird guy. Killed somebody. You know, to be with his wife and ugh, not good, right? King David, his historicity and validity has been actually in question by historians for a long time. If you grew up in the church, you're like, there's no way. I thought he was a real person this whole time. He was not a historically a valid person for a long time up until they found a, a, a thing called the Tel Dan Stele in 1993. It was a broken slab with inscription on it that pointed to the Judaic empire and actually proved that King David was legitimate. King David's a legit guy. Pool of Siloam, for example, in the New Testament, you've heard of the story. Jesus, he spits on mud. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Rubs it on a guy's eyes, right? And what happens? He gets vision. Historians were saying this place is non-existent. This is just a story, made-up myth about how Jesus does miracles. <laughs> People in Jerusalem, these uh, sewage workers, they actually found, as they were <laughs> creating more sewage ducts, they found a pool of Siloam in their work. It's a legitimate place. Did you know Jesus? <laughs> this world thinks that Jesus also is not a real person. Fictional person. And there are actual historical documents that prove him to be real. For example, even the Quran points him to be a real person. 
albeit that he's a prophet. In, and this is one of our, like, the old school ancient Roman people. This is what Tacitus says. I don't know if it's on the slide. I think I forgot to ask them to put this on the slide. This is what Tacitus writes in his Annals, page or chapter 44. They got their name from Christ, who was executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. That checked the pernicious superstition for a short time, but it broke out afresh, not only in Judea, where the plague first rose, but in Rome itself, where all the horrible and shameful things in the world collect and find a home. Tacitus was an individual, strong, non-religious guy, beloved uh, of the Roman Empire, writes historical accounts of Jesus actually being a real person, actually causing mayhem in, or at least his people, doing that in the Roman Empire. The Bible is full of real historical people and stories. The second extrinsic proof of the Bible. There are thousands of ancient texts found that are similar to our modern-day copies of the Bible. For example, there's something called a papyrus P52. If you actually see that. I think this, this is like one of the coolest things I've ever seen that we actually have record of. So that right there is actually Greek. And the front and the back side of that document actually is John chapter 18, verses 31 to 33. And then verse 37 to 38 is on the back. Do you guys know what, what part of John that is? It is the conversation between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. It is when Jesus and Pontius Pilate talk before he gets crucified. And Pontius Pilate asks, well, what is truth? We have these documents like the Papyrus P52 or the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you guys heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found in 1946. Teenage shepherds, they stumbled across these caves near the Dead Sea. They, apparently one of them threw a stone and, you know, they it hit a couple things. They walk in there, thousands of pottery, clay jars, and they find documents bound in leather, bound in papyrus. And after scholarly work is done on them, they find that they're dated to about 2,000 years prior. No one knows who wrote these transcriptions, but what we do know is actually, with all the Dead Sea Scrolls put together, the entire Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, is actually written. What we have in the Old, written in the English, they cross-reference almost, not word for word, but very accurate to what we already have with the Old Testament. Thousands of ancient texts are found similar to our modern-day copies of the Bible. The third extrinsic evidence that we have for the Bible and its validity is that biblical writings and teachings were passed down from generation to generation. I think uh, one of the things that have become very successful over the last few years is, like, origin stories of superheroes. Um, so I think, I, I don't know who, like, the first one was. I think it was, like, Wolverine. He had his, like, you know, his whole origin story, which is, like, very bloody and everything. Um, I think they just, what the most recent was probably, like, Black Widow and all this stuff, right? These origin stories are super powerful because it adds backstory to the superhero and to clarify who they are. I remember about, like, five, six years ago, uh, my uncle, we, he, was, he, he came over. Uh, and this was, yeah, five, six years. I was, like, 24, 25 years old. For my entire life, my parents never told me the origin story of our family. 
All they told me was, oh, yeah, you know, your dad moved here from Korea when, you know, you know, the few years before you were born, you know, got, got the place ready for us. And then, you know, you and this is my mom talking. You, you, know, you and me, we moved here after, you know, you were born after a year. And that's it. That's all I knew. And then one year, my uncle comes to visit. He's my dad's younger brother. And he blows the lid off. <laughs> Family secrets, things I can't share from the pulpit because they're kind of dark. And, like, I'm like, what the heck? Grandma and grandpa did what in Korea? And what the heck? It's wild. And it brought so much clarity to my backstory, to who I was, who my family, like, where we come from, and what are, like, what shaped my grandma and grandpa that shaped my parents and then that shaped me. To know, like, the origin stories passed on from generation, generation to generation, excuse me, is so powerful. Let me uh, make one thing very clear, though. We have a lot of copies of the Bible, ancient copies, but we actually don't have the originals. We don't have any of the originals, the actual handwritten from the first, but we have copies of that. Only, some are only, you know, several years apart, with others a few hundred years apart, but we also have teachings and writings from church fathers. And these people are not like one or, or like six degrees of separation from, from the apostles. Some of these guys, they were like just one degree off, right? For example, maybe some of these, if you're a church, is anyone here a church history nerd? I know Frank is. Yes, thank you, Frank. <laughs> if you're not, it's a, it's a good thing to nerd out on, right? Maybe these names sound familiar. Polycarp of Smyrna. Polycarp, very important church father. He was not like three or four degrees apart. He was John's direct apostle, right? He called John his sensei, right? Ignatius of Antioch, another disciple of John. Clement of Rome, disciple of Peter. These guys, we have written documents from these guys who weren't like three or four like generations away from these disciples that walk with Jesus. These guys literally were discipled and taught. They were students of the guys that walked exactly with Jesus. These guys then pass on the knowledge of the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles who learned from Jesus and the generational passing of information continued. We have teachings and writings from these guys. They quote scripture. They prove the validity of Jesus and his work on the cross. These ancients not only had scribes to write down, their teachings, but they shared in stories. So much of, I know right now it doesn't feel like a story uh, with, with a sermon, but so much of sermons, what you read in, in the New Testament, they weren't like, Paul wasn't like exegeting the Old Testament and writing like a six-point, you know, six-page sermon, three points. He was just telling stories. So much of what's passed on from generation to generation is done in stories, and that's what we have, stories of Jesus, stories of his teaching. Stories from the Old Testament. Okay. That was a lot. I just, information dump. That's, I planned on that. Some of you guys are like, I don't understand any of this. This is whatever. Some of you guys are like, this is cool. I'm like writing all this down. The Bible has a lot of extrinsic items and realities that support its existence. Okay. There is a lot out there that prove that the Bible is real. I want to encourage you, do your own research. 
Seriously, do your own research. There's so much out there right now, so many debates. Is the Bible filled with error? Is it not filled with error? Do your own research on that. But what we believe as Christ followers is that God, through his spirit, spoke through the original writers of the Bible. And despite the originals not existing, we thankfully have copies that have withstood the test of time. Literally, we have the Old Testament written out and the Dead Sea Scrolls found 1946, right? They're like the same. It's crazy. If that doesn't prove the validity of the scriptures, I don't, I don't know what does. We have so many things that withstood the test of time by God's grace and divine sovereignty. So when we read verses like John 1, 1, we can have confidence that the word of God is a credible source to guide our lives as it points us to Jesus. Okay. Take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, that was a lot. All right. We're going to jump in. Last few verses here, and then we're going to land the plane, all right? We are biblically holistic because the word of God addresses the deepest longings of the human soul. John 1, 3 through 5. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. We not only have the source of the origin of life, the beginnings of life, but what it actually means to have life, to live. All things were created through God. Right, The parallel, John 1, Genesis 1, it points us to the reality that each and every single one of us was made in the image of God. We have purpose because we are purposefully created. And the word of God, which was in the beginning, is sufficient to help us understand what it means to be made in the image of God. You don't need a self-help book. You don't need these YouTube productivity gurus, which I watch all the time. <laughs> like, they're nice and they're great. Matt Diavella, Awesome. Ali Abdal, awesome. Thomas Frank, awesome. But I don't need those guys to tell me how to make my life uh, worth it or worthy of living. I don't need a self-help guru to tell me how to live my life because what I have is the source of life, which is the word of God. We don't need these extrinsic things to teach us how to fulfill our, our spiritual lives, how to find salvation, because the, the word of God, it quenches the deepest spiritual longings of our souls. When we say that we are biblically holistic, what we mean is that when it comes to our relational, spiritual, mental, emotional, and even physical health, the word of God is sufficient to sustain us. Because... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. You want to find the purpose of your life? Look no further than the Bible. That will tell you exactly what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Is that you were created in the image of God, and because of that, you have purpose in your life. We are biblically humble because the Bible is an invitation to understand the heart of God as it is taught in the context of an ancient Middle Eastern culture far removed from our postmodern Western world. 
First John 1, or I'm sorry, John 1, 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. You know, when I first read this passage, I was like, okay, world, I think macro, big, right? He came into the world, like the earth, the, you know, the blue marble. But then I kept rereading this, and I realized, I don't think that's what the writers originally meant. When Jesus was born into this world, he was born into a specific time. He was born between 4 and 6 B.C. in a small town of Bethlehem, which is in Israel. During the reign of King Herod, Jesus was a Jewish man, Jewish Middle Eastern man. If you actually see, I, I, I should have uh, put up a picture. If you actually see a picture of Jesus, it's not like the long brown hair. Apparently, Jesus was ugly. <laughs> like, short, stocky, short hair, a little bit of scruff. Not a good-looking guy, right? Sorry if that, if I just described you. <laughs> Anyways, he was born in a specific time. Everything around him and what we read from the Old and New Testament, it throws us into a Middle Eastern context, right? I saw on uh, TikTok the other day, again, right? Uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers, his name's Eric Mason, Pastor Eric Mason. Uh, he's out in, I believe, in, in Jersey. No, Philly. Jersey or Philly. Anyways, he was talking about a new word he discovered. It's called narcissus. Okay? Yeah, you laugh, but it's real. So there's something called exegesis. Okay, exegesis, I'm going to just nerd out here, is where you study the context of the Bible, you study the context of this verse, and then you, you, know, you do uh, your observations, you, you, know, you find like the principle, the theological truth, and then you apply it to your life. Narcegesis is apparently where you read your life into the Bible. It's where you read your current personalities, your current emotions, your current life circumstances into the Bible, and you make it say what you want it to say. That is what we call narcissus. Now, there's many issues with that, but the one issue that is very stark and very forward is that you weren't there. <laughs> right? You weren't there when Jesus was born. You weren't there when Cain and Abel happened. You weren't there during Noah's flood. You weren't there when King David, or as a shepherd boy, killed Goliath. You weren't there. That's the issue. So much of our world, so much of the way we interact with the Bible is that we think that we read the Bible. We put ourselves into the stories and the characters of these people. But the Bible is filled with real people, real places, real historical events. You weren't there. So we are called to remove our postmodern Western lens and do the hard work at times to understand the inter and interpret the Bible according to the context in which it was written in because we weren't there. This is not like a, in a negative way, but America, perhaps one of the farthest, America 2022 right now, Perhaps the farthest context from ancient biblical Middle Eastern culture, right? I think we can say that. So we have to realize that we have these lenses that we read the Bible. And the first step to, to removing that 
is humility. It's to say that we weren't there and allow the Bible to read us rather than us read the Bible. The first 15 verses in John 1 ends with this. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus in this case. That's what John writes. But he did not come in power. He did not come to forcefully take the world. John says that he came full of grace and truth. And as his followers, as the people who follow the word of God, that's where we get our directives from. We are also called to have grace and truth as well. If your life is opposite to that, if you read the Bible and your life is not full of grace and truth, but filled with trying to force people to, to understand this, try to, to push against a very growing secular culture with power and might, doesn't represent the word that came flesh, that became flesh and dwelt among us. We hold the weight and truth of the scriptures in the fullness of the grace and truth that Jesus embodied. That is what it means for us to be humble. So when we talk about these extrinsic things that prove that the Bible is real, we don't just carry that as a weight and shove it down people's throats, but we approach those conversations with grace and truth, with the reality that, yes, the Bible is real. That is true. And here are the reasons why. But our approach, our heart's posture is to be gracious with a world that denies that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What we're going to do um, to kind of close up our, our time here is um, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, and <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is, I, I, I've been trying to view it in a different way, not just remembrance, but I do think that, again, it is a, a manifesto of sorts in this world where we, ad we admit and acknowledge that Jesus came from heaven to earth, gave up his body, his flesh, for the sins of the world. And we take this in remembrance of that and also as, as a statement that we are unified together as a church. And so feel free to, what I want to encourage you guys to do is, um, is to actually find just like two or three people or three or four people next to you um, and take the Lord's Supper together um, and reflect. What does it look like for you to live in grace and truth in this world um, and share that with one another? Even if it's just one person that shares, feel free to do that. Um, and then what we're going to do is uh, there's a video as well that we're going to watch. It's a little testimony from one of our uh, high school students uh, in our church um, and, and kind of hear just how the word of God um, has impacted her, how the gospel has impacted her. Um, and then um, we're going to have worship too. So um, let me pray for us. And then just let's lump up in groups of three and four, take communion together, and then also share with each other just what does it look like for you to live in grace and truth um, in this world. So 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll get after that. Lord, we um, are grateful for uh, your word. Um, Lord, I, I, I know that today, you know, it's it did feel more, you know, heady. But we do pray, Father, that this knowledge would just help us, that it would help ground us in our faith, um, to know that it's not just blind, you know, blindly following you, but that there are real things in this world, Lord, that that point us to the reality of your word, that it is real, that it is true, that it is credible for us to follow and to shape our lives, that we can humbly uh, submit our lives to the authority of your word. Um, so help us, Lord, to get there if we're not there. Help us, Lord, to to defend your word if we need to do that in, w- within the relationships that we have with people. Um, I pray, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, um, that you, Lord, would um, would just remind us that we belong to a greater body of Christ uh, and that we are called, Lord, to live in grace and truth uh, as your flesh, uh, as you, uh, the word became flesh here on earth, Lord. And so... Uh, We're grateful, Lord, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I was involved with chaos and element. I would just go through the week, go to school, be okay, but then I'd go to chaos and element, and I would just, I'd just feel like myself, like I could be myself and just let myself be me, I guess. There's not a whole lot of people that want to follow God in high school culture, like partying and like using different substances and stuff. And I just see like the effects it has on those people. They just want to do their own thing. And it's been really hard. I've had to like let go of some of my friends because they don't have the same morals as me or like agree in some way. But then again, I I just go home and I just remember that it's worth it. That like it's hard, but it's really worth it. And then like I've just seen Jesus work in my life and so many people I know and just like totally take something and transform it. And so I just really believe in that and like that like he is who he says he is and like he can do what he says he can do because I've seen it in my own life. Like some of my friends, I would like go down the wrong path or something. I've seen like I've invited them to youth group or something and they would just love it and keep coming back and I could just see them change and like the light come back in their eyes. Or um, this one's kind of sad, but my grandpa, like after my grandma passed, he just like always kept the faith like the whole time, just seeing him and how hard that was, but he still just kept the faith and I just knew that it was something about it. It's really real. Say I have a bad day or like I'm going through something like rough. Um, It's just easier for me to go on my phone and just like mindlessly scroll through my apps or something um, instead of going read the Bible. But after enough times of doing that and not feeling any type of better, I finally just didn't feel like it, but I just got up and started reading and I just knew that that was a lot more important to do than go to TikTok or Instagram or something um, and it would actually help me in the long run. Romans 12, 2, that verse, do not conform to the ways of this world, instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like my favorite verse, I think, um, because especially being a teenager, I'm 16, just being in high school and living a godly life and trying to um, just walk with God, like it's hard, but it's really worth it. I have like some of my close friends in my life, they like 
keep me accountable and help keep me on track. And myself, I just know what it brings. Like, it brings me so much calmness and peace and all the fruits of the Spirit working in my life and just being produced. And I just know that's what I need to do. And it just keeps me on track. I just think it's really real how Riv isn't just like as we go on our walk toward Jesus or anything. And they just say like, as we stumble because that's the reality of our lives that like it won't be perfect and we'll go through a lot and um, our faith will be tested a lot but we'll stumble and we'll get there just makes me want to be able to love and forgive others because like I'm loved and forgiven and gives me understanding of why because it's easy to like wonder why am I here Um, but it really gives me purpose and understanding that God has a plan for me and that I'm really here for a reason It's good. I don't know.